Just got through watching the Celtics come back and beat the Suns 116-109. to Celtics went into the fourth quarter, down 15, outscored the Suns 35-20, to forced overtime with the last second three by Marcus Morris, and then they outscored them in overtime 16-9 to to win what turned out to be a really entertaining game. And in the big picture, the Celtics get the win, but when you look at how they're playing as a team, especially on offense, they're very disjointed. There's a lack of chemistry. They came into the game ranked 25th in offensive efficiency. And when you look at the talent and the firepower that they have, that's kind of surprising. But when you look at where they're taking their shots overall, the Celtics ranked dead last in the NBA at shot attempts in the restricted area, which means more times than not, they're not just settling for threes. They're taking contested twos. They rank last in the NBA in shots in the mid-range area. So, yes, they're not shooting well, but there's also this disjointed lack of chemistry. And again, I go back to what I said before, that when you have guys like Terry Rozier, when you have Jalen Brown, who had bigger roles in the offense before the return of Hayward and Kyrie Irving, not to mention Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris, Brad Stevens have a lot of guys sitting at the table I'm just not sure that he can feed every one of them. There's only one basketball. And somebody's going to have to make the sacrifice, multiple guys, and just buy into doing the dirty work. Until that happens, though, I think the Celtics are going to go up and down. I think they're going to struggle. I'm not saying they're going to have a bad record, but I don't think they're going to be the juggernaut that a lot of people thought they were going to be before the season started. I think a lot of us saw what they did without Kyrie, without Hayward, and we just assume you add two all-star caliber players to a team that went to the conference final, not just the conference finals, but went all the way to game seven in the conference finals, minus those two guys, and then you add them, yes, it made sense that the Celtics would be favored in the East to re- to return not just to the conference finals, but to make the finals. And I'm not saying they're not going to end up in the conference finals versus the Bucks or the Raptors because I still think they're in the mix. But I think until they shore up things on the offensive end, it's going to be kind of a struggle. It's going to be a grind in a regular season. And and maybe what Danny Ainge might have to do is make a long-term move in the short term. He's got to make a tough decision anyway when it comes to Kyrie. He's got to make a tough decision when it comes to Rozier. They want their money at some point. And the reality is Kyrie Irving wants a supermax. And the question, and I've posed this before, will Danny Ainge give Kyrie Irving a supermax? My gut feeling is there's no question the Celtics want Kyrie to return. But I don't think they want to pay him the supermax. And I think eventually they're probably going to end up losing Terry Rozier because they just paid Marcus Smart over $50 million. Not to mention Al Horford, even though he's 32 and a veteran, he's got a player option. My guess is, though, he's going to opt out of that player option and look for a bigger deal himself in the offseason. But I don't want to get too far ahead. Let's deal with the right now. With the right now, the Celtics still are one of the best defensive teams in all the NBA. But offensively, they've got to find a way to get easier baskets. Another way you can generate offense, and you know this, whether you're shooting well or not, 
is by attacking the basket and getting to the free throw line. The Celtics rank last at that as well. And when you've got a guy like Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, three guys that can take people off the bounce, they should be much better at getting to the foul line. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's time, Celtics fans. Jason Tatum is not going to shoot 40% for the season. Jalen Brown won't shoot 37% for the season. I think this version of Gordon Hayward that you're seeing right now, there would be a better version in the second half of the season. But he needs time. The team itself needs time. When you look at Boston, I know it's easy to get caught up in just looking at the names and going, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be beast. But they're incorporating Kyrie and Hayward to a completely different team that went to the conference finals. And it's an adjustment for everybody, not just for Kyrie and Tatum, but there's a big adjustment for Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, who had much bigger roles in the playoffs last season. But the real reason that if you're a Celtics fan or just an NBA fan in general, and you're not worried about the Celtics, it's because you're GM. You've got the best GM in basketball, and that's Danny Ainge. And I think at some point, maybe 30, 35 games in, Danny Ainge, if not already doing it right now, he's going to put together a package and look to make a move. And I don't know whether they want to move Kyrie or or move some kind of package like Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown. But if they make that kind of move, it's because there's a star slash superstar caliber talent out there that Ainge thinks makes them a better team. Ainge is not about just being good. He wants to win titles. And speaking of titles, the counterpart to Boston in the Western Conference would be the Rockets. And they probably have the second best GM in basketball in Daryl Morey. And right now, the Rockets are struggling. What they look like right now is old. Yes, James Harden is still putting up numbers. He's putting up the usual beard numbers. 27 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds. 45% from the floor, 43 from three. But when you look at the next guy down, which is CP3, Chris Paul's starting to look old. His body seems to be breaking down more and more. He's averaging 17 points, nine assists. And that looks good on the surface. But when you realize he's only shooting 40% from the field and under 30% from three, that's not good especially when you realize that at age 33, they just gave him the max deal. They're ending CP3 for $35 million this year, $38 million next year, $41 million in 2021, and then in his option year, $44 million. And I'm a fan of Chris Paul, and I understand how great he played for them last season, and I understand that it's no question, had he been healthy, I don't think Golden State repeats. But what do you do if you're Daryl Morey and you look at your roster and you look at how you're struggling to score on offense and how your defense is gone? The Rockets right now are one of the most inefficient teams offensively and one of the worst teams defensively. That's why I think that Daryl Morey went all in and offered up the four number one picks to go for Jimmy Butler. And I still think that's something on the table. The drawback, what I heard, the 
what what made Daryl Morey pull back from making the deal. Daryl Morey didn't want to give up the four number ones and Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon is one of the best six men in the NBA. And I understand his value. But right now, the way the Rockets are looking on both ends of the floor, they need something dynamic to happen. And I think if Daryl Morey reconsiders, I think he would look at moving Eric Gordon. If that's what it took to get Jimmy Butler, and I think that's what it's going to take, I think that Daryl Morey is going to have to go back to the table and renegotiate. Because if he doesn't, I think Jimmy Butler is going to end up in Miami. And this current version of the Rockets, as they presently are constructed, this team is not good enough to get out the Western Conference. The way they're struggling right now, I don't think this team is good enough to get to the conference finals. So I'm expecting Daryl Morey to call up Tibbs and sit down at the table with Tibbs and work out some type of, if he doesn't, if he hesitates, if he waits too long, never, never sleep on Pat Riley. The Don will find a way to snatch up Jimmy Butler if Daryl Morey sleeps. I think that's the move that can put the Rockets right back into the conference finals and maybe even upset the Warriors. When you think of the trio of Butler, Harden, and CP3, and here's the thing. You put Jimmy Butler with CP3 and Harden, the best thing that Butler does right off the block for CP3 is, I think you can lessen CP3's minutes. He's playing about 35 minutes a game at age 33 with a brittle body. I think Chris Paul's minutes should come down to about 30 a game. If you're a contender like the Rockets, and you want to be able to actually knock off the Warriors, you need the best version of Chris Paul you can get in the postseason. Jimmy Butler would allow Chris Paul to rest more. I think Jimmy Butler, because he's a factor on both ends of the floor, would also make life easier for James Harden. He would he would get P.J. Tucker more open looks. I don't think Jimmy Butler is a superstar, but I think when you pair him with James Harden and Chris Paul, the, th- the trio... The, the combination of all three of them combined with some of the supplementary parts like Capella, like a Gerald Green, maybe even a Michael Carter Williams, not to mention Mello, who I have my doubts about. But to be fair, right now, Mello's shooting about 44 percent from the floor, 36 from three, even though he was one for 11 tonight. He's actually been pretty solid for the Rockets. But I'm not sure what he's going to be come playoff time. Melo's 34. And if anybody's seen him play over the last three or four years, what he doesn't do, besides not play defense, he doesn't run. He trots. He jogs. I don't even know if he can run anymore. And most of his field goal attempts, they're three-pointers. He doesn't get to the foul line anymore. There was a time when Carmelo Anthony averaged seven to eight free-throw attempts per game. He's averaging about two free-throw attempts per game. I think he can help the Rockets. And, and the truth of the matter is the addition of Jimmy Butler might make Melo even more effective. In the big picture, I think the Rockets need a shakeup. And I think the addition of Jimmy Butler would be just the shakeup they need to throw them back into contention in the Western Conference. I don't think I overrated the value of LeBron James when Magic Johnson was able to get him to commit to the Lakers. I knew immediately you get LeBron James, the Lakers become relevant. 
I knew immediately that people would start thinking that maybe over the next couple of seasons, the Lakers would become legitimate title contenders. I also knew there would be a transition period. I don't care if you bring in LeBron James or whoever you bring in, there's going to be a transition period when you've got the young players that they have, that young core that he was joining. But he didn't just join them alone. They also brought in Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, and now 11 games in, they've also added Tyson Chandler to that young core of Kuzma, Ingram, Lonzo, and Josh Hart. And you're wondering why they're just five and six. And I'm saying that, yes, they're going to be ups and downs. There's a transition period. And these teammates are getting used to each other's games. Not to mention, you're talking about a young core. This team is split. LeBron is in the middle. And on the left, he's got the older guys. When you look at Rondo, McGee, Stevenson, and Tyson Chandler. And on the right, there's the younger core led by Hart, Lonzo, Ingram, and Kyle Kuzma. And you're going to have to find some kind of harmony, but that takes time. We're 11 games in, and people are already saying crazy things like, like trading Brandon Ingram. This is what I'll say. The only person and the only reason I would trade Brandon Ingram is if I knew for sure that in return, I was getting Anthony Davis. I like Brandon Ingram, and I do think Brandon Ingram at some point will become an all-star. But Anthony Davis is a superstar. He is a franchise player. So, yes, if I could get Anthony Davis, sure, trade Brandon Ingram and Lonzo or whatever combination it takes to get Anthony Davis. But just to trade him and move him for guys like, and I've heard this mentioned, they wanted to trade Brandon Ingram for Jimmy Butler. I'm a big Jimmy Buckets fan. He's a guy who worked himself into becoming an all-star. He's a terrific two-way player, but he's not a superstar. And more importantly, he doesn't want to be a Laker. He doesn't want to play for the Lakers. He already made it clear once he made his demands that he wanted to be traded. He had a list of teams and the Lakers were not on that list. He did want to go to L.A. There was a team in L.A. on that list, but it was the Clippers. So you would trade away. Brandon Ingram for Jimmy Butler for the one year rental. And by the way, if you add Jimmy Butler to LeBron and the rest of that core, you'd be very good. You're not winning a title, which means once the season is over, which I'm guessing would be in the second round, Jimmy's no longer a Laker and he's gone and you will get nothing in return. I'm not trading away a 20 year old talent like Brandon Ingram for somebody who's a one-year rental. I've heard them mention the word Bradley Bill, which is an interesting proposition. But again, do you think adding Bradley Bill to LeBron James and the rest of that team would take the Lakers over the top? Because I don't. And I like Bradley Bill. He's a terrific shooter. He's also shown the ability to take people off the dribble. But I don't think Bradley Bill's a max player. I wouldn't pay him the max. I think he's talented, but I think he's already at his ceiling. We're 11 games in and right out the box, trade Brandon Ingram. It takes time. Give it time. These people are quick to go to panic mode are insane. And of course, it's not shocking that Stephen A. Smith will say something like that. 
He doesn't know anything about basketball. What he knows about is blathering. And that's about it. I heard him say something about Brandon Ingram being able to play point guard. No, he can't play point guard. Yes, Brandon Ingram has the ability in certain situations to create for others off the dribble, but he's not quick enough to play point guard. He doesn't have the speed or lateral quickness to play point guard. And trust me, in the Western Conference, you don't want him to have to guard a point guard, not these point guards on the other end of the floor. No, Brandon Ingram is not a point guard. He is a talent. But he's a talent that's still developing. He's a talent that's in his third year and he's still only 20 years old. I'm going to say what Aaron Rodgers said to my fellow Laker fans and any NBA fan out there listening to this insanity. R-E-L-A-X. Give it a minute, fam. To be clear, I'm not putting the Lakers early struggles on any one individual. That's not the way I roll. If they're struggling, then they're struggling as a unit. They're struggling as a franchise. So that's from Magic to Palenka to Michael Beasley. It's not on any one person. This is something that the front office and the players and the coach, Luke Walton, they have to come together and everybody's got to play their part. What I am saying is it's just too early, 11 games in, to be looking to trade a kid who's 21 years old with all the talent in the the world and you're already giving up on him to go after somebody who doesn't even want to be part of your organization. Hey, shout out to Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Your team put up a 52 on the Carolina Panthers. Big Ben with a perfect passer rating. Shout out to the Steelers. Facebook fam, YouTube fam, I'm out of here. I'm going to hit you with this. It's the Cypher. 